And so, as we gather, let's pause and just kind of rest in that a second before we dive into the text. So if you will just continue in worship through prayer personally. And if you are a believer, let me go ahead and talk to you first. Before the text proclaims the gospel over us, wash your mind now in the gospel and the finished work of Christ. You preach the gospel to yourself. Think through Christ stepping out of eternity because we were sinners and living the life that we would not live and we could not live. Think of Him fulfilling every single law, even those crazy little laws in Leviticus. But not only that, the big things we struggle with that we've gone through in the Sermon on the Mount, He fulfilled all of them. He earned righteousness. He won the lottery of Christ, of of God's fulfillment of righteousness. He, He got it all. And then this crazy scandal of the gospel was that he said, if you will just believe in me, trust in me as both Lord and Savior, I will give you my righteousness. So us bankrupt become inheritors of the kingdom of God. He did that. That wasn't just a story. He did it. He fulfilled it. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. He bore our sin and he was placed in the grave why because death was the penalty of sin and it had to be conquered too and he came busting out of the grave proving that he conquered death for us he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the father and intercedes on your behalf so believer as you pray now he prays for you let that wash over you His goodness chases you. Even the noose that we feel sometimes where he yanks us, where he jerks a knot in our tail, even that is his love. I pray that we'll see that today, believers. If you're an unbeliever thinking we are nut jobs, oh, would you just please just pray a simple prayer? Lord, reveal yourself to me today. That's all I'm asking you to pray as we contemplate the message of our Savior. So, Jesus, thank you for worship through song, thank you through worship through prayer. Thank you for worship through the hugs that we've experienced and handshakes of friends and new friends and celebrating VBSs and all that good stuff. Through all that, thank you. Now, as we worship through the Word, would you make your Word come alive to us today? 
If it is left up to me to make any sense out of your word, then we are on a ship without a captain. But praise you by your spirit that you say you'll honor your word. And so I just want to hide behind your word today, God. And just let it bathe over us and have its effect. Holy Spirit, move. Move in power. Be tough to those who need a tough word. Be tender to those who need a tender touch. Be the Spirit. Be the Holy Spirit. Do what you do. And Father, be glorified in our midst today. It's in your precious name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back to Safe Haven regulars. Welcome first-time guests. Um, We are in Matthew chapter 7. Um, As a habit, our church is book by book, verse by verse, straight through books of the Bible. Uh, We don't hop around. And um, so we're in chapter 7 of of Matthew, and we're going to continue that journey today again. And um, so before we get into that, just to kind of set maybe the tone of what's going on here, our culture is a culture that it really is obsessed with ease and comfort, isn't it? Chick-fil-A app. I feel like I should be getting money from Chick-fil-A for all I've been talking about here recently. Um, I still do maintain red status. I hope to remind you of that every single Sunday until I lose it. Um, I'm a red status member. Um, If you're not, sorry, you're a lesser Chick-fil-A member. Um, But no, I I love it. But here's the thing about Chick-fil-A and and this whole app thing. Chick-fil-A had already mastered the drive-thru, hadn't they? I mean... (laughs) Like, when you're driving up, cars could be lined up down Highway 82, and in your head you go, it's okay, they'll still get me through. <laughs> like, they've mastered the drive through but then they came up with the app, where you don't even have to wait in the drive through What do you have to do? You type in what you want, you pull up into the special parking place, and then they bring the food to you. <laughs> like, they mastered it. Why? Because of this comfort and ease notion. Me and Julie Beth went through one in Montgomery here recently. They don't just come to you. You can also choose to just walk in, and they they have a counter that has your bag already prepared with your name on it, mints and all. You just walk in, grab that sucker, and out. We're obsessed with comfort and ease, aren't we? I brought another little illustration here with me. This is my remote control from a TV, right? And we are in the, well, some of us are in the generation where these things came out. Some of us are also in the generation where you used to have to go up there and click the bad boy. And some, you know, you had the button, it would slide like that, or you turn the little, which was easy back when we had channel 6, 13, 21, and 42. Wasn't that about it? And 10. That's right. That was PBS. Yeah. (laughs) That's where Big Bird came on. Yeah. Love that one. That was my favorite, actually. Still is my favorite. Um, and, and then we came up with these things. And then it came to a whole nother level. And we joked about, golly, how lazy are we <laughs> that we won't even walk up to the TV and we'll click through. We joked about that. Oh, baby. And now, 2019, we have buttons. This button right here, I can click, and y'all can too, and talk to the dead gum remote. I want to see channel ESPN, and it goes, okay, and it does the thing. I mean, we are enamored by comfort and ease, aren't we? It's part of our culture, and I say all that to say this. All of this is what Jesus is about to 
to get to. Because comfort and ease, if we're not careful, will seduce us to something that Christ says is not good for us. And so he's going to address that today as we, as we think through this whole comfort and ease notion. He's going to warn us, as I just kind of jotted my notes, he's going to warn his hearers about the seductive pleasures trying to keep us from finding eternal relationship with our Father. And this comfort and ease is going to, is going to slip into not just trivial things, but into true, genuine spirituality and where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. Let me give you another example, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text. Another example of this, practically, is a few years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Rob Bell. Many of you guys know Rob Bell. Um, some of you don't. Rob wrote a book. Rob was a pastor at a megachurch, and he wrote a book, and the book is called Love Wins. And his notion was, because God is love, and therefore God must be strictly about comfort and ease, so if God is all about love and comfort and ease, hell cannot be a real reality. Love ultimately will win, because the two can't coexist together. And so as he went through this, he, he went through it and studied and kind of rewrote his interpretation of what he believed Scripture was and kind of presented that, and, and that was the notion of the book. Comfort and ease ultimately will win. And so as, as he did this, it became wildly popular, um, but Rob ultimately chased it to its logical end. He said, I, I can't hold to these things in Scripture because it's, it's too much going on. So he went the route of Scripture, therefore, can't be um, as he tracked that, he finally dropped out of the pastorate altogether. He took a job with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey where he now denounces his faith altogether. And it's just that trickle effect. But, again, where did it all come from? It all began with comfort and ease. The notion of a hell is uncomfortable. I'll pit it with God's nature of love. And then that tragically sent him down the spiral, which Scripture warns that even in the end times, some of the elect could be led astray. That's scary. That's some scary junk. This passage is about to get even scarier as we go through this text today, but it does lead us to the question, is it true? Was Rob right? Is God's wrath fake? Are there real responsibilities for the believer? Do all paths ultimately lead to the same place? Are there really two eternal destinies, heaven and hell, or is that fake and everybody ultimately is headed to a universal state of, as I said before, ease and furt? So, you just saw, because a lot of you guys have been coming through the Sermon on the Mount, and it has been super practical to this point, hasn't it? Like, we've talked about anger, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about divorce, we've talked about lust, we've talked about giving. All of these things Jesus has been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount have been super practical, and you feel it already, don't you, that Jesus just went abruptly, now we're going to talk about some spiritual things. And he does that really fast here in this text. And so watch what happens. Jesus is on a hillside having a hillside conversation with some friends, and that hillside conversation, he's about to transport everybody, not literally, but figuratively, he's about to transport everybody from the hillside practical stuff to eternal conversations with very real spiritual implications. So that kind of gives you a setup to where we're heading. So if you will, 
In honor of God's Word, would you stand as we read God's Word together? Matthew chapter 7. And at, the, <laughs> at this point, like, like when we got to the whole judging others thing, everybody was like, oh, Jesus is starting to get weird now. This is starting to get really spiritual. It's about to get more spiritual, okay? So here we go. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is not going to be on the screen above, but this is going to lead us next week to the passage that I believe is the scariest passage in all of Scripture. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Is Jesus right or is Rob Bell right? But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? We did a bunch of good stuff. But I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then the story that we all know, and it's not as scary, it's a fun story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the what? The sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And then Jesus will finally conclude the Sermon on the Mount which will be three weeks from now. And when Jesus finished saying these things the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their own scribes. The word of God for the people of God. Be seated. So there's a beautiful structure here that I want to point out real fast. Because again, I think we can read through passages like this. And we can miss out on just the pretty structure that Jesus spoke in. Um, it'll be on the screen above. He did everything in sets of twos. Did you notice that? Did you notice all the, the twos and the system that he walked through? Verses 13 through 14, he says, to combat a life of seduction, of comfort, and ease, we need to discern some things. Number one, we need to discern what is the correct path. Did you see that? And what he said is there's two gates and there's two paths. Watch all these twos. Then verses 15 through 20, he said to not be seduced by this life of comfort and ease, we need to discern correct teaching. And he said there's two trees and there's two types of fruit. Then verses 21 through 23, he said, we need to discern correct judgment. There'll be two responses from the Lord and two pronouncements that follow from that, those responses. 
verses 24 through 27, then he said to us, we need to discern our correct status. Why? Because there's two types of houses and there's two types of outcomes. I don't think any of that is haphazard. Okay? I think it's all designed and it's, it's perfect. And so in this, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, according to me, not me, according to Christ, there are two distinct realities, two totally different realities. There's not just one, Rob is wrong. There's two distinct realities. There's a reality that complements the teaching of Christ, and there's a reality that contradicts the teaching of Christ. And again, again, if you're a guest with us today, this is not one of those sermons that I enjoy. It's not, you didn't walk into Safe Haven and go, oh boy, this is one of those preachers that loves to find a really hard text and start screaming at people. Negative. Not us. All right? What we do is go book by book, verse by verse, and we land here today because this is where we ended last week. All right? So, with that said, let me, number one, say that. But number two, let me say to all of us, guest and all, I do believe in God's sovereignty that we're to hear this today because this is where God has us. So let's hear the words of the Lord. Let's let them sink in. And where it needs to cut us, let's let it cut us, trusting that God's molding us in his grace to be conformed to his image still more. So in this text, let's just look at a few things. We're only going to review the first two sets of two today. <laughs> like some of you saw all of that and was like, we are going to be here all week long if he tries to go through all that. No, we're just going to hit two of these and then we'll jump back in next week um, to verses 21 through 23. Let's look at what Jesus is saying. Here we go. First of all, Jesus invites us to join him through the narrow and hard gate. That was verses 13 through 14. He says, life, Christian-wise, is not about comfort and ease. And what I'm going to invite you to is the narrow gate and its hard path. That's what he says. We saw the invitation through the word there right at the beginning. Notice what he said. He said, enter. Enter is an invitation, right? If you come knocking on the door of my house, which again, most of you in this room know the, uh, the code to my house, um, and you just walk on in anyway because we rarely leave the door locked in the first place. Um, but for the few of you who don't, you'll probably knock. And you'll knock wrongly on the front door, which will laugh at you and tell you the code to the side door. So that's just how it kind of works. Um, but if you knock, we open the door and we say, hey, you want to come in? Well, that is an invitation. So Jesus does that right off the back. He says, enter. Enter. He invites us in. But that invitation can be seen in twofold. So number one, I think what he's doing is this. When he says, enter, in through the narrow and hard gate, it's an invitation actually to avoid the wide gate and the easy path. He invites us, tie it back into the beginning, to avoid the seduction of life is all about comfort and ease. That's what he said about these paths. Notice the words that he used. Number one, he said, the path that leads to destruction is wide. In other words, it's the path that handles a lot of traffic. The path that is leading to destruction is the one that's really, really wide. And then all of us are like, no, no, no. Right now, downtown Tuscaloosa, they've made it narrow, and that leads to destruction. Okay? But what are they doing? They're trying to widen it so that we'll be more comfortable and at ease. Right? That's what they're trying to... <laughs> Keyword, trying to accomplish, all right? So here's the thing. Jesus says, listen, be careful of the wide path 
that just kind of holds everybody and all beliefs blend and you can believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and we'll all be okay in the end because this path is wide enough to hold everybody. Jesus says, watch out for that path. That path leads to destruction. That's a dangerous path. And then he says, enter into my path to avoid the wide, but also the easy path. The easy path that's well paved. Lush life. The world is your oyster. I don't even know what that means, but I just thought I'd throw it out there anyway. Go and do what you please. That, that, that mantra, the Nike mantra, just do it. That's the mantra that we buy into. and just, just do whatever you want to do. And Jesus says, be careful. The wide path and the path that says it's all about you, it's all about your wants, it's all about whatever you want to do, that's the path that leads to destruction. Again, he's addressing our comfort needs. An illustration of this, just really fast, was a couple of weeks ago, we went to a Braves game. I don't know if you've been to the new SunTrust Park. Number one, it's awesome. But number two, there's kind of these gates all over the place. And the little gate that we went to, they had about 20 gates sitting right there, and three of them had ropes. And the line for the people in the ropes was already backed up to where the, the shadow that the stadium was casting you, you had to be outside of the shadow. So you were in the line, but you started to get a little uncomfortable because the sun was beating down on your head. I don't know if you were bald and didn't have a hat. It was even worse, okay? But then there were 17 gates right beside it that didn't have a rope. And what I noticed was this. When we came up, these three lines were filled up, so the masses just started flooding to these other gates. And so there were way more people over here on these 17 gates than these three gates because they were still in the shade. And they thought, well, these are gates. Surely the gates are going to open. So we're all standing there. And there's probably 1,000 people standing outside of these 17 gates. And the guy on the inside comes out, and he comes out, and he stands by these 17 gates, and he says, hey, I want all y'all to know that we're only going to open these gates down here, right down here. To which I thought at that moment, everybody in their right mind would go, ah, we're in the wrong line, so let's go get in the line, right? Negative. Didn't move. Just stood there like a herd, except for us. And then we cut in line in front of us. No, we didn't cut in line. We borrowed some space from somebody else. And so we, we moved over here to these three lines and, and got over here, so we're standing in the sun. This crew didn't move, and this guy came three or four times. And then what happened was it came time for them to open the gate so that people could go in and watch batting practice. And what did they do? They walked down and they opened these three gates. And the masses started going, what are you doing? Why aren't you opening the gates? We're standing right here. And the guy's like, we told you that these were the gates that were open. That's a true story, but I think it fits very much into what Jesus is saying. He said, look. There is a path that's comfortable and easy, and you'll get to stay in the shade earthly-wise, and, and everybody is talking and laughing, and there's space and all this kind of stuff. But I'm warning you, that's not my way in. My way is through the narrow gate, and it's hard sometimes. And that's the passes. I think that's where Jesus is getting at. So he says, enter. Number one to meaning avoid the wide gate that seems easy. Avoid it at all costs. But number two, it is indeed an invitation to join him at the narrow gate that is a hard path. It's narrow, it's small, 
And it demands that we crouch down and bow down to his supremacy and get in line with him. And sometimes, yes, miss out on the stuff that the wide path offers for our good. So it's narrow. And Jesus' gate is also hard. He tells us this, meaning it demands that we fall in line with the conformity of the gatekeeper. Who he says enters and how he says enters is who gets to enter and how you get to enter. Why? Because he's the gatekeeper. (laughs) We're not the gatekeeper. He has the right to open and close it. Acts 14, 22. It's not on the screen. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, had just got stoned. Okay? And I don't mean stoned as in Colorado-type stoned. Um, I mean stoned as in rocks. Okay? Um, Apparently that was a curveball throwing of a rock. Um, Jesus, uh, Paul had just got stoned. And they left him for dead. The disciples brought him back to himself, and he looked at the disciples, and the first word that came out of his mouth, as I can only imagine, they're going, Paul, I don't know if you know this, but you just got stoned, and we probably should leave the area so that we can protect ourselves. And here's the first words that came out of his mouth. Acts chapter 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom. Paul got it. The road's narrow and it's hard, but that's the road that leads to eternal life. Um, This past week, in the gym that I work out in, there was a guy, and I I pray he's not in this room. I don't think he's in this room. Um, And (laughs) bless his heart. Um, The gym that I go to is not a screamer gym. It's not the one where you slam all the stuff. And it's not like Andy Weigel's training. You know, it's not slam. I'm just messing with Andy. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, everybody, everybody's not trying to be Hulk Hogan and all that kind of stuff. Actually, it's okay. Um, but this dude came in, and he was a visitor, and, and he grabbed every plate that we had in the, in the gym, which we don't have many. I work out at Para, okay? We're there to just try to get a little bit healthy, right? And not even get really a little bit healthy. We want to act like we're getting healthy while we talk. Basically, it's what we're, we like to do, okay? So I'm there up here, and he's getting everything. I mean, he's, he's tying other machines on the bar, right? And then he, he gets up under it, and then he steps out from it, and he's looking in the mirror, <laughs> and he goes... And he slams it down. And I swear to you, that's all he did. That was the bend of his knees and everything. I mean, uh, uh, and he got it. Uh, uh, uh. And then he kind of walked off like this. And I knew he was lightheaded. I, knew, I was just waiting for him to pass out at any moment. To which I would have laughed, number one, and then called for help, number two. Because I'm not strong enough to pick him up. But, but so he did that. And so I, I walked up to him. I said, hey, man. Um... I said, you really look, you're straining a lot. And I'm not sure, you might hurt yourself. I just want to be careful. I just want to make sure you don't hurt yourself, man. And he goes, I know what I'm doing. I was like, okay, sure you do. Great. I'm going to go back over here (laughs) to the treadmill. Um, So then the trainer comes out, and the trainer walks up to him. And the trainer says, hey, man, look, I just want you to be really careful. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to do anything that's going to hurt yourself. And that's a lot of weight. And, and the guy goes, I can handle it. And the trainer's like, I'm sure you can, but right now you haven't even squatted, not one time. 
you're, you're not getting down any. You're not doing anything. And the trainer goes, I really think you're going to hurt yourself. To which he again denied. And so the trainer just kind of walked off. I think a lot of times, like in this passage, we think that God is telling us to avoid the wide, uh, to avoid the wide gate and the easy path because he's trying to get us to miss out on something. He's trying to get us to miss out on all the weight that we want to carry. Some, we, hear God's, we hear Jesus say, listen, I don't want you to be about that path. I don't, and when we go, you want me to miss out on everything that the world has to offer, Jesus? You want me to miss out on squatting everything that I want? And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this for your good. Not so that you'll be fearful of me and not so you'll miss out, but, but because I love you. Because I want you to be with me. It's why I tell you these things. So Jesus invites us to join him. I'll wrap it up. Okay, Jesus, enough of your crazy illustrations of narrow gates and hard gates and hard paths and all this kind of stuff. Enough of that. Just get to the point. What are you saying, Jesus? Well, I think Jesus says it very clearly in John 10. Here's what he says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Listen, church, we're grace junkies at Safe Haven. But we cannot avoid this passage telling us clearly that the shape of the gate to get in is conformity to Jesus Christ. It's narrow. And the world will go, that's too tough. That's the call. And we're not going to avoid that call. No other door leads to paradise. No other door leads to eternal hope. No other door, no other shape leads to God the Father. He's calling us to watch out, contemplate. Am I on the wide path or am I on the narrow path? Is life really easy spiritually right now or is there struggle going on where you're warring? Number two, Jesus warns us to avoid false teachers by examining their fruits. He says this with that word beware. Beware. In other words, I'm warning you of something very dangerous. He warns us something dangerous outwardly and inwardly. These two things. Outwardly, we saw that warning when he said, Beware of false teachers because they will come to you. Did y'all see that? That is not how we typically think of false teachers, do we? Like we think of false teachers as the ones who are out hidden in a forest, who have made a pentagram full of candles, <laughs> wearing robes, slaughtering things and pouring blood all over junk, casting spells. Like, we're like, that's the false teachers. And Jesus says, need to be careful. This life of ease and comfort, false teachers will come to you. They won't be that thing. They'll come to you, but they'll also come to you how? In sheep's clothing. In other words, be careful of this life of ease and comfort because sometimes the people promising church, listen to this, Sometimes the people promising you comfort and ease are the wolves in sheep's clothing. If you come to Christ, everything's going to be happy. Glory might be a wolf. 
You come to Christ, all your bills are going to be paid. Probably a wolf. If you come to Christ, all your health needs are going to be taken care of. Your marriage is, <laughs> right? <laughs> you watch all the Christian movies. You come to Christ and your team is going to win the football championship. Your divorce is going to be restored and you're going to get the new car that you always dreamed of. Be careful. That may just be a wolf. Those three things Satan promised Jesus in the temptation. So be careful about that. He says, outwardly they're going to come to you. They're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. And inwardly they're going to be ravenous. They're going to be greedy. They're going to be devouring. They're going to rip you apart if necessary. If you stand in way of them being comfortable and at ease. And they're going to come to you as ravenous what? Ravenous wolves. In other words, the only appetite thereafter is feeding their own appetite. If you help that, buddy, buddy. If you hinder that enemy. So the question is, if Jesus is telling me to recognize them, but they walk like me and talk like me, how would I recognize them? And Jesus says the answer. How do you recognize them? By their fruits. By their fruits. What kind of fruits? Well, what's on the inside will eventually sleep out, is what Jesus is saying. You recognize them, number one, through their teaching. What are they saying? Very few false teachers will come out and just say, well, Jesus is a loony bird. Like, very few. Some will, but very few will do that. What they do is they subtly justify sin. They stand up in churches or your living room or on the TV or whatever and say, well, Scripture doesn't really mean that you can't do that or you should do this. It not really mean that. And they'll appeal to the greater good. Well, God wants you to be happy, doesn't he? So you do whatever is best for you, even if it means you compromise a command in Scripture. It's subtle. And they'll teach in that way, and so they'll justify sin, or they'll just justify away Christ. They'll say things like this. Yes, Jesus is awesome. Yes, Jesus. They'll come knocking on your door. Let's talk about Jesus and the other ways that people can enter into the kingdom. And that little other is an instant moment where we need to be careful. So in their teaching, it'll eventually come out. It's just like a couple of years ago on Larry King Live when a famous person was standing before Larry King Live and Larry King said to him, Hey, do you believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? And this famous pastor said, Oh, Larry, it's not up to me to decide that. It is absolutely our command to stand for Scripture where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That is my job. And if you're a Christian, that's your job. Be careful. They'll slip in and then through their actions as we wrap it up. In their words, you'll notice they never talk about Jesus or the gospel it's all about me, myself, and I. In the use of their resources, you'll never see anything about mission. In the use of their time, you'll never see anything about devotion. In the use of community, 
They won't leverage community for the greater good of the gospel. They'll leverage community for the greater good of propping themselves up. In the use of grace, you'll never see as a grace used as a reason to war for godliness, but you'll see grace as permission to be ungodly. In their use of repentance, you'll never see conformity to labor for Christ. You'll see conformity to labor for themselves. And this is a war cry. And the war cry is for us not to surround ourselves with ease and comfort to leverage life for us, but to realize the path that is narrow and hard that leads to Christ will also glorify Him in everything we say and do. And then how we wrap the sermon up as the band comes up. There's two ways to end this sermon. When you come to a passage of Scripture like this, it can often be a moment where the pastor sets a ball on a tee, and then he says, all you sorry suckers out there that are on the wide path and life is easy, (laughs) turn or burn. And then here comes a hellfire brimstone message, right? Fear, and it's fear, it's to birth fear. Fear, 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 fear. And I don't think that's the point of this passage. I think the point of this passage is Jesus has just set us up on a tee and said there are two distinct paths. One is wide, one is narrow, one is easy, one is hard. You need to be on this one, and I'm telling you this, not so that you'll fear me, but I'm bidding you in love, come, because I want to be near you. I love you. And so today... Our Lord loves us so much that he tells us ahead of time, the road to him isn't easy and comfortable. The road to him that has a gate isn't big, it's narrow. And there are trees and they're always going to bear fruit. And you need to be careful that those trees aren't impacting your fruit. And you have the right to examine those trees, to stay away from the trees that are bearing bad fruit. And I'm telling you these things because not does love just flippantly win. Love wins through me. So unbeliever, man, I plead with you today to give your life to Christ. I beg of you, unbeliever, give your life to Christ today. Let today be the day of salvation what's done in the dark will eventually come to light it may not come to light on earth but in eternity it will come to light jesus is being gracious with you right now by letting you live and letting you hear his words that bid you come why He can do this because the wolves ripped him to pieces and smashed diseased fruit on him and he bore it on the cross of Calvary to free you. If you are hearing him call you to himself today, that's not you deciding that. That's him drawing you. Let him overcome your resistance. And then believer. Oh, baby. in the room
Three parting shots. Jesus does not call us to an easy and comfortable life, but a model to live a life that models him carrying a cross. As a matter of fact, that's what he said in Matthew 16, right? Y'all remember that? Take up your and follow me. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. But it's right. Number two, if you're on a road devoid of spiritual hardship, if you're just the life of the party and everything's easy and there's no spiritual war that you're trying to war for, you might want to examine if you're on the right road or not. It's a loving call to examine. And then number three, this is my favorite. I want to preach another sermon. I won't because we got to go. So when you feel the pressure to live for Christ or appease the flesh, and it begins to be nauseating within you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I can choose sin or I can choose to follow Christ, and there's just that nauseous feeling in you. And we're like, oh, I hate that. Believer, listen to me. That's a good thing. It's the evidence of the Spirit within you lovingly, lovingly, lovingly yanking your tail into gear to keep you on the right path. Praise the Lord for that nauseous. If you don't have the nauseous thing, contemplate Christ's call today. What a great passage, right? It is a loady, loady passage. I should shut up and pray. Okay. That's very good. Well, Lord, thank you for your passage. Thank you for your text, your word that you gave to us. Not an easy text. But you promised us it wouldn't be easy. So for believers in this room who feel themselves warring to fight, to get on the narrow road and in the small gate, praise you, Jesus. That even that pull is evidence of your spirit. So I pray that this text in no way Satan uses to cast fear in the, in the heads and hearts of believers. But that believers hear it, receive it, see it, and see it as a loving, gracious call to war against whatever it is that's pulling them to the wide path and pulling them to the easy life. That they will see that giving up their life here is worth gaining life in eternity. And then for unbelievers, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Only your sovereign hand can save someone. We can't do it, so save people today, Lord. Do your work. In Jesus' name I pray.